I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And as you saw up there, if, if, this, if you're newer to church today or maybe you've been coming out for a while and you haven't got the heartbeat of Connect, what we, what we really are about is not just celebrating together on a Sunday morning, but it really is helping you and I to become better disciples of Jesus Christ, which is learning to walk this thing out with a real God in a real way. Come on, somebody. In a real world because we have real world issues. Like, it's awesome that we get to say amen on a Sunday morning, but then Tuesday shows up, and then Wednesday happens, and then by Thursday, we, we, need, we, 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 we needed Sunday to be Thursday because by Thursday, we're going to hell already, right? It's just, we need each other. Like, we can't, I've been, we can't do this alone. And so uh, um, our, our, our Shoulder to Shoulder, which is our women's discipleship groups, Forge, which are our men's discipleship groups, they are starting again this week. Um, and I want to encourage you, you know, you can go to the QR code that's going to be up there again and uh, check that out. Um, you can sign up and register for that. I would encourage you to do that if you're going to today or tomorrow because some of the information will be sent out tomorrow uh, for when that meets. And can I really, really encourage you, don't, do, don't try to do life alone. We, Jesus did not call us to be churchgoers, although church is so important. He called us to be disciples. And that means we need each other. So hop into that. It's, uh, but, by the way, it's fun. We have a great time. Um, and you learn. It's, it's great. And you don't look, you don't, have to be, look I, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. None of us are Bible scholars. It's just going to learn more about the Bible. You don't, you don't have to be the best, I'm the, I'm the best Christian. No, you just be somebody who wants to take that, what, that next step and figure it out. So that's what, that's what forge and shoulder to shoulder are. One last thing I want to encourage you with before we hop on, uh, hop into the word today, is that um, we have a, a ministry here called uh, Thy Kingdom Crumb. It is our mobile food truck ministry that gives free food uh, all over here, Philadelphia uh, area and region. And um, I, I, it's one of my favorite things that we get to do. Um, and one of the things that we do every year is we have our 5K fundraiser. And it's coming up October 21st. And um, can I really encourage you, look, this is a run, a walk, a push a baby stroller. Like, this is, this is not a competition. It's not the Boston Marathon, right? This is just a way for us to have a lot of fun. So there's two ways that you can support it. You can be a, you can be a support by being there uh, and running it or walking it. Um, you can actually sponsor people by mile um, for the miles that they're going to walk. But can I encourage you, be a part of it. Because although it's an amazing thing that we get to do to bring food to people, to bring the love of Jesus, you hear me say it all the time, food is the means, Jesus is the end. We don't just feed people. We feed people as a method, as a means to let them know that they're seen, valued, and heard, loved, and that Jesus loves them. And so that's what we do. But it does require, like giving away free food requires, one more time, giving away free food requires... There we go. All right. Awesome. And it's not like we've got billionaires backing this, right? This is what we do because that's what the Lord has encouraged us and called us to do as a family. The word says to take care of widows and orphans who are in need, to make sure that we feed the hungry and share the love of Jesus with all people. So that's what we want to do. So if you can be a part of that, that's awesome. Even if you can't and you know some people that like to run, let them know about it. Cool? Awesome. Are you all right this morning? Fantastic. You ready for the word? Hey, why don't, why don't you, uh, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to John chapter 3. John is the, uh, the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you are in Forged, uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're actually talking about the book of John, so we're going to be learning more about this as we walk through um, in that as well. But if you need a title for today's message, it's When Life Gets in the Way. When life uh, gets, 
when li- any, anybody, when life gets in the way. This week, uh, Pastor D and I were we were going to see somebody. We're trying to see somebody, and uh, and 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 we couldn't because life got in the way. And when we say that, what we re- what we tend to mean is that circumstances or challenges came up that needed and demanded our attention, so we had to take care of those things. And that happens to all of us, doesn't it? And it will continue to happen to all of us because we live in a broken world, broken and fallen world, where life challenges. Circumstance constantly gets in the way. But what about the times when we are going about our lives and the true life? The John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When that life gets in the way. When, when, when you and I are trying to, the real question is, when, what do we do when you and I are, who are trying to be good We try to live good lives, and Jesus gets in the way. When we're trying to do the best we can, and holiness gets in the way. When we're trying to work out being good Christians, but the call to be a disciple and follow him gets in the way. Because the reality is for most of us who have grown up in an American church world, This is where the real battleground is for us. Because we've been taught to be good. Be good. Be good. Be good. And they've given us a list of rules on what good looks like. And we are believing, we have bought into the belief that following the rules keeps us in the insulation of goodness, void of the confrontation of conviction. We believe that if we keep doing the good things, following the rules, it keeps us in the insulation of goodness, void of the confrontation of conviction. So what we've done is we've trained our souls to respond to the crises when life gets in the way, but not the conviction of his life when it gets in the way. That's what this whole text is about. This is what exactly happens to Nicodemus. He's a man following the rules, right? Trying to be good. Trying to do the right religious things. To do what his religious world had told him would make sure that he was all right with God. Until one night, life gets in the way. And Jesus turns his life upside down. And I believe this morning, that's what Jesus wants to do here. To really turn our life upside down, to get in our way, to get in the way of our good lives. Our lives that are trying to just check off and make sure and do and not do and keep it right and be good enough. So that we can actually live godly lives with him. I believe that's what life's trying to do today, get in your way. Get in your Christian way. So the real question is, how do we and how will we respond when his life gets in the way of our attempt to live out a good life? Hello, American Christian. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That means that he was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a a group of people who were both Pharisees and Sadducees who made the rules, the spiritual rules, for the nation of Israel. 
But because Israel was also, a, a, you know, ruled by spiritual, spirituality, they basically ruled Israel. And the Bible says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What I love about this is that Nick came to, Nicodemus came to him at night, right? And the old pastor's joke is it was the first Nick at night. I won't tell that joke because it's bad. <laughs> but what I love about it is that Jesus does it like correct him for coming at night. He doesn't ask him where he's been. What took him so long to get there? So it doesn't matter where we are right now, and it doesn't matter how long it took us to respond. Jesus offers Nicodemus the gift of his grace of life. But what it also means is this, that somewhere along the day, as Nicodemus was going about his business, trying to be the best Pharisee that he could be, which means he had to follow 613 laws that strictly, 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 uh, regulated his, his eating, his interaction with people, his giving, his washing, how he lived. It was everything under the sun they had a rule about. But somewhere along the way, when he's trying to do his best, he came in contact with Jesus and life got in the way. By the way, I, I know that we think so poorly of the Pharisees, but may, may, may I just maybe ask us to open our mind for just a moment and consider that in the American church world we have more in common with them than we'd like to admit. See, 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 they came about, the Pharisees came about because they rose up because they saw their nation's sense of morality and spirituality in decline. They wanted their nation back from foreign oppressors. It wasn't their country anymore. They believed in the resurrection of the dead in heaven. They believed that God created the world just like we do. They believed God created, chose Israel as his chosen people and therefore his chosen nation. Hello, Christian nationalism. And he rewarded people or punished them based off of their good works. So they relied on rules to make them righteous, to make them feel like they had the moral high ground. Thus, they were good. Because we are like this and those people aren't. We do this, we would never do that. Does this sound familiar? The American church world, this is the American church world we're exposed to all the time and don't know it. And it was to this world, to this person, that Jesus, that life got in its way. Life got in its way. And life is trying to get into our way this morning. Just can I, can I encourage us today? Like Nicodemus, we are trying our best to be good enough. And life is trying to get in our way this morning. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with position but no real power. With a sense of self-righteousness but no real holiness. Standing on the moral high ground but definitely not standing on holy ground. I get this, because I grew up in the church. 
I understand what this means. Doing, not doing, touching, not touching, wearing, not wearing, listening, not listening. I was good because I went to church. Because I didn't drink, come on somebody, I didn't smoke, I didn't do drugs, I never slept around, I was good. But like Nicodemus, empty. And thank God, in the middle of my good life, life got in my way. Because if not, I'd be still on that hamster wheel trying to produce a better life and a better life and a better life and a better life without the true life actually living inside of me. But when he does, no matter how long you may know him or not have known him, when he actually does come and get in our way, the real question is, are we ready to have our good lives turned upside down? Because Jesus isn't interested in making us better. He's interested in making us a disciple. And the reason he's actually willing to turn our life upside down is because we have to actually read the, the whole heartbeat of the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus said, I've come to set man against his father, daughter against their mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That doesn't take much doing. But I was raised faith family football. Faith family fo- It doesn't sound like faith family football to me. It sounds like I am everything in everything, going to rack everything, turn everything upside down. I want the full attention, the full go. I'm in or I'm all in all the time. Why is Jesus saying this? Because he understands Matthew 7, 14. He says, narrow is the way that leads to life. There's a broad road out there that many people choose, but narrow is the road that leads to life. And the life I want to give you, John 10, 10, is abundant life. But very often, God's view of abundance is very different than our view. And the truth is, like Nicodemus and his friends, we too fall into the trap that God is all about rewarding us. If we're good enough Christians, God is about rewarding us. So we turn all of our energy and effort and and attention into reaching that goal. But God's first priority isn't about rewarding us. God's first priority is actually about restoring us. Restoring us to a real relationship with him. Daily, every moment. Not a one-time moment at the altar. Not a yes, I raised my hand. Yes, I prayed the sinner's prayer moment. That gets you to heaven. He's interested in restoring us day by day. Every time we slip and cause distance between us. He's interested in restoring us to a kingdom cause. To holiness, to health, to wholeness in our life. So what happens, my friends, when this type of life gets in our way when he challenges us to be better than good i think the challenge is so often many times our first response as believers and we have to remember that nicodemus believed that jesus came from god our first response is like his response that we 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 use our logic to try to figure out his truth his truth comes and we start trying to fit. Well, how's it fit? How's it work? I don't know. It's 21st century. How's this work? What's going on? How's it fit into to my life? Isn't that what Nicodemus does here? He starts with logic. Jesus drops spiritual truth into his lap, and his first response was to wrestle with the word with logic. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm old. How can I be born again? What you, you want me to get back into my mama's womb, Jesus? That's not logical. 
And logic has been the trap that humanity has fallen into from the beginning of the fall itself. Genesis 3, go back to it. The serpent comes to Eve and says, Eve, did God really say Eve? Figure it out yourself, Eve. Come on. Be logical about this, Eve. And the trap is we start with our position and try to figure out God's truth rather than starting with God's truth and trying to understand our position now in it. We looked at this last week in one of the verses. Remember, David is being hunted by Saul in 1 Samuel 24. And Saul comes in without any of his guards to relieve himself in the cave that David's in. And verse 4, his, his men, his loyal men, turn to David and say, this is it. God delivered him into your hands. This is, this is what God wants. David, it's logical to kill Saul right now. They started from their position. They saw the, they saw the opportunity through what they thought God had, would have them do, and they wanted to act on it. It seemed logical. How many of us have made those kind of decisions in our life when we're like, yeah, but I got the, I got the good things over here and the bad things. I'm just, try, just trying to be logical. We say it's wisdom, but it's really logic. But verse 6, David turns around and says, man, I started from the wrong place. I should have started with this truth. God said, don't you dare touch my anointing. Don't touch the anointed one. I should have started from God's word and then trusted that God would work this out even though this is illogical in my mind to not kill him where he stands. And the deeper issue is for all of us, if we don't understand it, is that we have been taught and reinforced through education and through our culture that logic is humanity's greatest authority. It's even our de declaration of independence, isn't it? Right? Come on. We find these truths to be self-evident, self-revealing. Come on. Indisputably logical. From the very foundation of who we are, we are standing on the truth that logic is our highest authority. It's why when people want to question God, they come up with questions like this. Can God create a rock too big for God to move? Because they're starting. We're not starting from God and, and, and coming to the problem from Him. We start with the problem and then try to figure out God. That's logic. It's true. Even scientists know it. Can we be honest about this? I, I was a scientist. I know Pastor Ron's a scientist. Like, I get this. Scientists know this to be true. It's why they don't ever, they would never do this. They would take a jar, put a worm in it, and say, in an hour, this worm's going to become a man. Because it's illogical and all of us would laugh them out of the building. So what do they do? They put a worm inside of a jar and say, in 40 million years, an unfathomable amount of time that logic cannot contain, it makes it then plausible and we turn it into truth. So logic becomes entrenched as our highest authority. This does not surprise God. Proverbs 14, 12, he knows it's true. There is a way that seems right to a man. You and I, there's a way that we figure out that looks good to us. But in the end leads to death. Come on, all of us know this is true. This is how I know all of us know this is true. Because every one of us has put a coordinates in a GPS. And then the directions come up and you have said, 
I know this is not, I know there's a better, I am certain there's a better way that'll get me faster. I lost 45 minutes of traffic this week by doing that. Come on, but that's what we do in the natural life when we're trying to be good. God gives us the coordinates and we say, I know a better way. God will still end up in the same destination, maybe. But this is why Jesus allows his life to get in our way. It's him saying, you're going the wrong way. Even when you're trying to be good, Nicodemus, you're going the wrong way, Nicodemus, because you're trying to figure out my truth through logic. Look at Jesus' answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is saying truth and life are intricately tied together. You cannot have life without truth and truth without life. The reality is Nicodemus would have been very familiar with the style of speech. Because rabbis, when they would teach, very often would start out by saying amen. And that's what this Greek word is, by the way. The Greek word for truly here is the Greek word amen. Now you and I know that amen means so be it. So rabbis would start by saying amen because they were saying, I say so be it to everything that follows. They were basically saying, if you're my disciple, because I say this is true, you'll follow it. Jesus doesn't even start with that. He doesn't start with amen. He starts with amen, amen. Jesus is saying the great amen says amen to this. The great amen says amen to this. God is saying, so be it to everything else that follows. We cannot start with us. We have to start with him. Come on, like Nicodemus, we can't say you came from God, but want his truth to start from man. We cannot say you came from God, but I got to figure out your truth from my point of view. Our surrender to the truth is the only weapon. Our surrender is the only weapon we've got against the stronghold of logic. It's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verse 27, he said, man, you can't plunder a strong man's house until you first bind up the strong man. Logic in our generation is our strong man. I'm not saying that logic is always wrong. It's not. But I am saying it is wrong when it comes to trying to figure out the truth. Because faith is not logical. Faith is informed, come on, faith is intelligent, but it is illogical. It is not logical to step out of a boat, come on somebody, into a stormy sea. It is not logical to forgive somebody 70 times. It is not logical. But we're not called to live by logic, but by faith. So what do we do when that kind of life gets in our way? The issue is, I think, after we've wrestled with the word, we often are faced with this emotional exhaustion of what is being asked of us by the word. Come on, Nicodemus must have been like, are you serious? After everything I've done, are you telling me everything I've done up to now is worthless? Are you telling me I have to go through all that labor again? I gotta work even harder now? I'm exhausted, Jesus, even thinking about what that means. Have you ever had a moment where you come to a scripture you're like, I mean, I can't, I am, I can't even, I'm, I can't even think about what this means to me. Because the challenges, I think, for us is that, especially in this post-pandemic world, where we're living in a, 
in a recession and we still have racial and social clashes going on all around us and, and, and political correctness and challenges politically and going, everything being ripped apart. We face a lot of emotional exhaustion in our lives, let alone the emotional exhaustion just trying to be a disciple of Jesus. Come on, when your fourth grader comes home and they say, my best friend at school wants me to call them they, it's exhausting. When we know the scripture tells us to forgive 70 times 7, but that person has done it 70 times 7 plus 1, exhausting. When not forsaking the gathering together of the house of the Lord comes in conflict with trying to be a good parent, which means keeping our kids in soccer and SAT prep and drumline, exhausting. When we hear a sermon or read a passage and realize even though everything we're trying to do to be good at it isn't enough, it's exhausting. And here's the truth about our human nature is that when we are emotionally exhausted, barren, bored, or barren, we hear things through self-pity first and we respond with self-justification next. We hear things, oh, woe is me. And then, this is why you're wrong. Come on, all of us who've ever had arguments with our spouse or coworker or our friend, when they've come in and kind of commented or, may, or confronted us with something, when we are emotionally exhausted and our response greatly, greatly and vastly outweighs their comment, like they came in with a two and you responded with a 12, that's because we are, that's the response. When conviction happens, when we are emotionally exhausted or barren, we see it in Scripture. In Matthew 25, just so you don't think that you're alone. In the parable of the talent, the man who had one talent, he didn't do anything with it. The master comes back and he's like, I didn't do anything with it. And he goes, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't produce anything. I just want to let you know, I tried to be good. But I tried to be good because I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you do not sow. What you're asking of me was too hard, too difficult. It took too much of a risk for me. Because he saw it as a burden rather than an opportunity as a blessing. This is the same thing that happens to Samson when he allows his soul to get vexed by Delilah. And he ends up in bondage. Because we've trained our souls to respond to our soul's sense of its own condition. If I'm exhausted, just leave me alone. I can't go one step more. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And we'll have an exchange. I can't hear that, Jesus. I am just so barren. I know. Come to me and I'll give you the fruit of life. This is why Jesus allows his life to get in our way. He understands this because in his, in, when he gets in the way, what he's trying to do is pull back the curtain on all of our, everything inside of us that is flesh. Everything that we are trying to make happen in and of ourselves and sets us free by reminding our souls that it is his spirit that gives life. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by the spirit. He's trying to remind us inside He's trying to be like Toto, come on, in the Wizard of Oz, when he pulls back the curtain, 
and you see what's really behind the wizard? That's what Jesus is trying to do in our life. It's why Jesus intentionally uses the words, born, what's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit will be spirit. It's why he's saying it, especially to Nicodemus, who's a teacher of the law, because he's trying to bring back to remembrance the things that Nicodemus would have already memorized. He had to memorize Genesis. He's trying to get him back to go back to Genesis 2, foundation. Do you remember? The Bible says in Genesis 2, when God created humanity, he first started with dirt, Adama. That's where we get the word Adam from, Adama. And it was a form, and then he blew his ruach, his life inside of him, and we became living creatures. He's trying to get uh, Nicodemus to remember that we have some power to give flesh birth, uh, the birth things in the natural, but only the spirit can birth the supernatural. He's trying to get him to remember in, his, in and of himself the image of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37 where God says, man, prophesy to the bones. Speak my word to the bones. And he speaks the word to the bones and the birds form. But the Bible says there's no life in them. Then he says, prophesy to the wind. And the wind, the spirit comes. And then they became alive, a mighty army for God. He's trying to stir up inside of Nicodemus. I know you're trying to be good, but you're going about it the wrong way. The trap in our modern day church world is we're trying to produce through the flesh, which can only be birthed by the Spirit. Come on, obedience to the Word will always bring formation, but only life in the Spirit will bring transformation. When we are just living by the word, trying to be good to the word, we will be exhausted, we will be frustrated without transformation. And we're like, man, I've been doing this a long time and it's still this way, I guess the word doesn't work. No, because we're trying to do it in our flesh and not by the spirit. It's why Acts chapter two happens. Did you ever wonder why Acts chapter two happens? Life gets in the way. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Before this, they were doing good. They knew Jesus had raised from the dead. They saw him. They had all of his teachings. They had the word. They even picked new leaders. At their church launch, they had 120 people at their church launch. That's awesome. And they were all in one accord, which most churches can't even say today. They were doing really, 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 really good until life got in the way and dropped the Holy Spirit on them. Then they didn't have the, because, because then they didn't have just the right formation, they had transformation. They had the Holy Spirit power. They were anointed to heal the sick and to kick demons out of people. They were anointed for signs and miracles and wonders to preach the gospel with power. Come on, to be disciples that would turn the world upside down because their lives had been turned upside upside down for Jesus it wasn't a politician or a proclamation or a party it was a spirit that made the difference I know this is true because so much in my life over the last little bit I've been still trying to battle some battles in the natural world with toughness tenacity persevere I'm gonna just stand but the question is are you standing in faith I'm just going to fight. The question is, are we fighting with the weapons of natural warfare or God's warfare? It's not enough for us to actually know the word. 
We have to allow the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. And maybe the most dangerous challenge to us when this type of life gets in the way is our soul's response of half-measured steps towards holiness. Half-measured, all right, okay, God, I know you're calling me. I, 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 where we're enough in to know better, but not actually enough in to be better. Where, 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 we, where we have personal belief, but not public demonstration. This is what's happening with Nicodemus after this encounter. It happens to all of us. But this is what goes on with Nicodemus after this. Because the Bible says in John 19, at the very end of John, after Jesus is killed on the cross, dies on the cross, the Bible says in verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, who were both believers in secret because they feared the Pharisees, because they were afraid to be canceled by their tribe, rejected for their beliefs, afraid that their connection to Jesus would cause disconnection to their crowd. They took half measures of holiness. Half measures of holiness. But I have a personal belief, just me and Jesus. No, 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 no. That's a half measure. It'll get you to heaven, but it's not a disciple. And life's going to keep getting in its way. Because he's not interested in good people sitting in good chairs in a good church. He's not. Because it does you a disservice. The truth is, it wasn't secret that Nicodemus was in the crowd. A lot of the Sanhedrin were in the crowd. It was a secret that he was a disciple. A half measure of holiness. And this is the same trap that we face today, my friends, where we believe enough to be connected, but not follow closely enough to be exposed. I'll say that again. We believe enough to be connected, but we don't follow closely enough that who we really believe in will expose us. And the result is the same. It's going to leave us wandering in the wilderness like the children of God did being influenced more by the fear of the crowd than faith in the Christ. And it's why the true life confronts Nicodemus the way he does here at the end. He gives him the words that he will understand. He ends the conversation with Nicodemus with verses 14 and 15, which bring Nicodemus back to what happens to the children of God in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21, the children of God are complaining to God because God is not blessing them the way that they think that they should be blessed. And they're complaining. He's giving them manna, but they want more. And they're talking and they're complaining. Now, you got to remember, you, gotta, you have to remember, God wanted them in the promised land, but they chose the wilderness. So what they're saying is, I want a promised land blessing, but choose to live in a wilderness lifestyle. I... And God, it's your fault, by the way, I'm not getting a promised land blessing. Even though I'm choosing to live, I'm, I, am, I am convicted myself. Because I have some wilderness wandering in me. I, I know I'm not the only one in here. And then I get ticked off with God because I'm like, God, your word says. And he's like, I know what my word says because I told you to get in the promised land. You're the one still wandering in the wilderness. And I'm still giving you manna. Shut up. What? 
So God, listen, this is, this is scary if you get it. Life gets in the way at that moment. The word says God sends serpents. Oh, he would never do something like that. My God is all love and goodness. No, no, no. 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 The word says God sent serpents and people got poisoned and they died. Because he'd rather you be dead and in heaven with him than living in mediocrity on this earth. He tells Moses, this is the story. Are we all right? Don't be mad at me. I'm just telling you the Bible. That's not my God. You better read the Bible. The Bible says, God said, make me a bronze serpent, lift him up on a pole, and everybody who looks at it will be saved. Because they're walking around with serpent poison in them. They're going to die. This is a picture of Jesus. This is what Jesus says is a picture. You don't even have to guess. Jesus told you this is me. Right? I keep telling you in the Old Testament is filled with pictures of Jesus. Bronze is, a, is, a, is, is always a, a symbol of, of suffering. It's the suffering servant that would be lifted up. Then why is he a serpent? Because he took our sin. He became our sin. He became our curse. The serpent that bit you, he became so that he could take all the venom out of you and took it into himself. And the Bible says if you look to him, it's not a good work. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to do any action. If you look to him, faith saves me. Then the, the poison of the serpent that bit me and is killing me will go out of me. But Jesus is saying to Nicodemus as well, he is not going to live out his mission privately, but publicly. I'm going to be lifted high for all to see, Nicodemus. There's no half measures here. See, here's the truth. Life Jesus, I believe, took the opportunity to plant a seed of faith in Nicodemus in this moment. That experience down the road would give an opportunity to be reaped. He gave him a word about the cross, before the cross, so at the cross, faith could be reaped. He gave him a, a word about the cross, before the cross, so at the cross, faith could be reaped. Have we ever wondered that maybe some of the crosses that you and I are facing are absolutely avenues that God is trying to use to plant and raise and harvest some faith in you that he planted in a sermon that stepped on your toes, in a prophecy that challenged your souls, in a Bible verse that you read and believed in but didn't activate. Maybe he's using some crosses today to get you to reap some faith from a seed he planted in you before. He told him about the cross, before the cross, so at the cross, faith would be reaped. Faith, life got in his way. Nicodemus, I know you know. I know you're trying. I know you're good. I know you don't do this and you don't do that, but I gotta get in your way. Because you are living by goodness and not by faith. And at the cross, when the seed of faith was harvested, it broke the half measure inside of Nicodemus' soul. 
and it motivated him to grab a hold of the whole body of Jesus, bloody, dirty, and in public. No more half measures of holiness. He had to be willing to be seen as unclean. Do you realize in his crowd, in his crowd, if you touched a dead body, you were made unclean. He had to be willing to be seen as unclean by his crowd so that he could live a life publicly for the glory of his king. I'm all right if people think that I'm not all that anymore. I'm all right with they, if I think they think I don't, I'm not as holy as I should be. Or maybe I should take a different stance somewhere. Or I shouldn't love somebody who they have claimed is unlovable. Or give grace to somebody who they determined didn't deserve grace. I'm all right with it because I'm all right with being seen as unclean in my crowd. So that I can live publicly for the glory of my king. He had to exchange his position of acceptance for a posture of worship. And he finally stepped off the private path of goodness and onto the narrow road called life. So here's the real question at the end. How will we respond today when this real life hit us? Will we exchange our position of acceptance for a posture of worship? Or will we logic it away? I know, but Pastor, you have to understand my time constraints and my other, my other commitments and the things that are in my way. And will we just try our best to be the best that we can, not really actually implement faith? Will we take half measures towards holiness? Or will we today grab a hold of him with blood-soaked hands? Stepping out of the shadows in order to live in his glorious life. God has no interest in us being good. This morning, life got in my way. Because I preached to myself. Last night in the kitchen going through this, yeah, life got all up in my business. I'm 55. I can't afford half measures anymore. And the truth is, when I was 25, I shouldn't have accepted half measures. He's not getting in your way because he's mad at you. He's getting in your, in your way because he is desperately and passionately in love with you. But only you can choose, Nicodemus. So today, like him, you encounter Jesus. And today, like him, you'll walk away. But which Nicodemus will wake tomorrow morning? Will it be the pre-cross or the post-cross Nicodemus? The half measure or the all-in? That's up to you. Let's pray. My friends, this whole 
message has been an altar call. Because what Jesus said to Nicodemus is true for us. He was meeting with somebody whose goodness probably makes us, no matter how good we're trying to be, to be honest, look pitiful. And he just said, Nicodemus, your good acts won't get you there. You've got to be born again. You've got to look to the serpent that's on the pole high and lifted up. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send Jesus to condemn the world but that through the world it might be saved. My friend, I'm not interested and it doesn't really matter how many times we've been or not been in church before in our lives. The only question I've got is this morning, are you looking for your good works to save you? Or are you looking at him and his work to save you? And the good news is this, you'll never be good enough because the standard of heaven is perfection. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the best news is you don't have to be good enough because it's not about your goodness, it's about his. The Bible simply says if you'll give him your life today, if you confess with your heart, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he died and rose again, that he, his work did it all, today you'll be saved. And we're going to pray that prayer in just a moment. Maybe you've never actually given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never actually known that he loves you that much. Maybe you saw all the times that your toes got stepped on in a sermon or in life as God being against you. But what God was trying to do was to actually stop you short from the cliff you were about to drive over to show you he loves you. So if you've never accepted him today, we're all going to pray, but I invite you today to give your life to Jesus. And maybe you've prayed that prayer before, but to be honest, you've fallen back into good works and good works and good works and the condemnation that comes from not being good enough and the shame that creeps in because you know better than anyone else that even though you're trying to impress everybody else, that inside of yourself, man, you fall short. Just come to Jesus' grace. Look to him in faith. Today you'll be saved. And maybe you are here today and you've been a prodigal child. You knew Jesus, but you've walked away. It's time to come home. Just come home. He ain't mad at you. He's desperately in love with you. Come home. We're going to pray. But if that's any of us in this room or online today, no matter where you are, can you pray from the bottom of your heart and let Jesus do the rest? Can you just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I'm coming to give you my life. All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I give to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sin.
Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit. I need you to be the anchor of my soul. I choose today to live for you and you alone in Jesus' name. Before we do, I'm going to ask one last thing. Before we say amen. If you are a believer in this room and have been, but you know life got in your way today, and there are some things he convicted you on, right now, take a moment and repent. If you're willing, just say, Daddy, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I give those things over to you. Don't worry about the person to your right or left, what they're thinking. Who cares? There's some business we need to do with my king. Jesus, we relinquish control over those, over those areas that we have explained away, took half measures in, felt like our emotional exhaustion gave us the right to lean back and not step into. Today we repent, we relinquish, and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that the Holy Spirit fill us. Holy Spirit fill every person in this room, top to bottom. Every person online, every person who's down the shore, every person who's in a hospital room today, who's praying and crying out to you, Holy Spirit, fill them with power. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with, with the power that only comes from you because we can't do it in the flesh. We need you. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit, and we need the spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Not by might, our proclamation, not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, it will come, my Lord. We trust you. Come on, church, we trust you. Can you tell them you trust them? We trust you. Just tell them we trust you, Jesus. We try, come on, tell your soul to trust them. Trust them, we trust you, Jesus. There's not one addiction you can't break. We trust you, Jesus. There's not one court case you can't win. We trust you, Jesus. There, there, there's not one hurt you can't heal. We there's not one sickness you can't heal, cure. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you, Jesus. So it's in your name we pray. And we give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, my friends, look, if you prayed that prayer to give your life to Jesus or to come back to Jesus, I'd love to get a chance to meet you right after service, right back here at this table. We have a, a free book we'd like to give you. It's written by Pastor Rick, by the way, who's doing much better right now. Pastor Rick, we know you're watching. We love you so much. Recovering from surgery. We love him so much. But he wrote a great book to help us take the next steps toward Jesus. Did you receive anything today? Did, li did, li did life get in anyone else's way today? Because it got in my way today. I tell you all the time, if, look, church should be welcoming to everybody, but not comfortable for any of us. All of us should be, feel equally welcome and equally challenged when we leave. So church should never, if you're leaving church and you're like, yeah, I'm good. That was good. That, that, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You, 
That may not be the church. And I promise you it's never going to be this one. Because I know this. We as a team would be doing you a disservice if we just tried to help you have a better life. Because at the end of the day, it's not about being better. It's about being a sold out disciple of Jesus Christ. Denying myself, picking up his cross, and following after him. Amen. Hey, before we close today, Pastor Lisa's going to come and encourage us. She's going to pray over us as well. Can you get Pastor Lisa and Kevin? They're, they're doing such a great job with our kids. We love you. Good morning. Good You're morning. Fantastic. Good morning, church. I just want to take a moment to lead us in our tithes and offerings this morning. And as you may know, there are three ways that you can do that today. You can use the envelopes, fill that out, place it in the kiosk by the door. You can go online or you can use the fancy QR code right there. I see some of you doing it. You're so high tech right there. Well done. So you can do that. But while you're doing that, I want to share a little something that happened to our family yesterday. So as you may know, we have a seven-year-old daughter. So she wants to do dance this year. Wonderful. She's going to do hip-hop dance this year, okay? If you may know, these things are not cheap, right? It is not cheap to put your kids into dance class. So anyway, we go to the parent meeting yesterday. Next thing we know, we're having to buy the dance t-shirt, right? Then we also have to buy the hip-hop shoes, which are not cheap at all. And so Kevin and I are kind of looking at each other like, what is going on? What happened here? What is happening with our money? But you know, sometimes if we're honest, that's how we can feel when it comes to the word of God. When it comes to offerings and tithes, we're like, okay, we can give something. Wait, well, so, I'm sorry, what did you say? Tithe, 10%, what's, what's happening? What's that about? But really, it's only because we don't truly know the heart of the owner right? We don't really know the heart of our father, that anything he asks us to do, church, is for our good, is for our best. Like Pastor Kyle said this morning, John 10, 10 says, the thief has come, only the thief, not God, has come to kill, steal, and destroy. God has not. He has come to give us abundant life. Amen, church? So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are a good God. No matter what we are facing, no matter what we see in our circumstances, God, may we stand on your word. No matter what is screaming against us, our bank account, relationships, health, anything, Lord God, may we honor you and follow you and stand on your word because only your word is always true. And so we lift up your name. We thank you, Lord God, that you are so good. We give you our tithes and offerings today. We give you our lives. And we just pray that you would help us to follow you and to lean in this, this morning and this week, Lord God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, Amen. church. Have a great week. Hey, couldn't you just, couldn't you just, like, she, like, Lisa could read the phone book. You're like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey, why don't you stand up with me for a moment? Church, I love you. Let me just encourage you. Don't be hearers of the word only. Let's do this thing. Look around the room. You're not doing it alone. You're doing it with people from every race, from every culture, from every background. What a great opportunity we get as a church 
to do this life together. So let me encourage you before you go. Maybe today, if what we talked about did something inside of you, maybe when you go home, go to that QR code and register for shoulder to shoulder. Put yourself men in a discipleship group. Let some of the pastors and other men here in this, in, in, in this church walk life with you through it all. Amen? Let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, may the Holy Spirit move in power and in truth. May we choose to not be hearers of the word only today and so live in the deception that comes from it. But may we put this into action in our lives. Keep getting in our way so that we can live your way every day in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. And fly, Eagles, fly. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles, let's go. Woo. Yeah, baby.